Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly, and we're back with another episode of Nymphing Essentials with Jason Randall. This time we're talking about getting the drift. How are you, Jason? I'm great, Marvin. Thanks. How are you doing tonight? As always, I'm just trying to stay out of trouble. And, you know, last time we talked about uh, getting in the zone, and this time we're going to talk about getting the drift. And, um, you know, you know, why is it important and how do we get our flies and how should we present our flies in the zone? Well, getting that drift is is really the second goal in our in our three part objective. We we outline those objectives, the three objectives to success at nymph fishing as is getting your flies to the strike zone, getting the right drift, and then having accuracy and strike detection. If we meet those three objectives, we're going to catch more fish. So the second one is getting the drift right. And we know from from the last episode that the strike zone is typically that bottom 20% of the water column near the bottom where the food is, where the trout are, where our flies need to be. But we also defined that strike zone, that bottom 20%, because of friction at the stream bed as moving half speed relative to the current overhead. So if that if the food that trout are eating is moving at half speed, how fast should our flies be moving at? Yeah, half speed. Half speed, right, exactly right. But if we take our our presentation, our drift, and we attach it to a flotation device, like a large plastic indicator, and that, that indicator is at the surface moving at nearly the fastest speed of the current, how fast is that drift actually moving? Full speed. It's moving full speed, which is why we're not catching fish. So we, in order to get the best presentation, we have literally got to slow the drift of those flies down to the same speed that the, the natural organisms are drifting at in the strike zone. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so, you, you know, I guess we talk about, um, you know, techniques, you want to kind of break it down. We, I mean, there are lots of different ways to do this. You want to kind of start, we can kind of walk through them? With the different methods? Sure. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the easiest methods to getting, um, you know, that ideal drift speed, because drift speed and, and presentation are synonymous. You get a good drag-free presentation, we've got to get that drift speed at about half speed of the current that we see from the surface. But one of the, the, the methods that are probably the easiest to achieve that are the tight line high sticking or uroniffing methods where we have a single point of entry and that, uh, that tippet cuts through the uh, overhead faster current and allows our flies to track at the slower current of the, of the strike zone. Um, and, and the thinner the material, um, the better it cuts through that, that, uh, that current overhead with less weight than incorporated into our drift. Now, when we look at flotation devices then, and we're trying to get a drift speed that's slower than the surface, it stands to reason then that the smaller the strike indicator um, that we use or we select, the better it is for us to get that natural drift speed. It's it's harder to, to get a good drift speed with a, a flotation device that's the size of a Christmas tree, right? 
Yeah, it's just like when we were kids, right? We talked about, I think, when we did our last interview about fishing on cane poles, and you can either use a big round bobber or you can use <laughs> one of those needle bobbers, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. There's different choices. Sometimes it's a, the choice of, of a flotation device that can help us. Um, sometimes it's balancing um, our rig um, when we're using a flotation device so that we're using the smallest um, device that will suspend our flies and then just adding enough weight, either incorporating that into the flies or, you know, with additional weight added to the rig then to, to get drift speed. But no matter what method we choose, we really need to get that drift speed to reflect that slower speed of the strike zone. Yeah. And so when we talk about suspension devices, I mean, I kind of guess off the top of my head, we kind of talked about basically thingamabobbers and thills and things like that. But I guess you've also, you've got like New Zealand yarn, right? Which is, gives you a little bit more control um, and more visual cues. But then also like I think about, uh, you know, maybe using some of those like stick on uh, uh, foam uh, little squares that you can kind of stick on your leader that's a little bit less intrusive. Right, and I think um, the, the the choice of of indicators is really uh, it's really important. And I usually will select the method of nymph fishing, whether it's a suspension device or whether it's a tight line or your nymphing style, based on the water. Um, when when uh, we're talking about really really fast water or deeper water or opaque water, water where the surface is broken. Um, the fish that are in those feeding positions beneath that water have a high degree of confidence in their safety. We call that a high confident lie. Um, a lot of things can raise the confidence of, of fish in their safety during feeding. Um, you know, the over, even overhead protection of branches and, and streamside vegetation or shade can raise their confidence. But whenever trout are feeding with confidence, I usually can get close enough to them to use one of these tight line, high sticking Euro niffing techniques that, um, that um, will allow me to get um, in close proximity to the trout. By comparison, when trout are feeding in low confident lies, which would be maybe shallow water, slower moving water, gin clear water, exposed vulnerable situations, they, they're very spooky. They're anxious. They're, they're very nervous about their vulnerability, and that's that's a low confident lie. And so, my selection then I can't get close enough to do a tight line or a close proximity euro nymphing technique. I've got to back up and respect their their anxiety over their vulnerability, and then I'm going to use maybe a suspension device. But if in that situation I were to drop a large Christmas tree size ornament in a flotation device over their head, they're going to spook anyway. So I've got to choose something that lands with, with subtlety and minimal disruption um, to their feeding activity, or I will, I'll spook them. So in that situation, I've got to make the right choice again. Uh, and it, where I use large plastic devices will usually be from long range distances um, or from drift boats where um, I just can't get close enough or I need to establish a drift from a further position away. Um, but when I'm fishing from long range over low confident fish, I would be more likely to, to use um, the New Zealand strike indicator or a, a small tuft of yarn 
or I might float a cider um, for uro-nymphing, or I might use, um, you know, something that's really, really subtle that won't disturb their feeding. Yeah. And so, you know, when we talk about floating the cider, you know, folks aren't familiar with that. It's really not that dissimilar from greasing your leader if you're trying to fish like emergers in the film, right? So you take mucilin or gink um, and you uh, you basically coat the cider and maybe the leader and it'll kind of float up so you can see it a little bit better. That's exactly right. We're just trying to extend that a little bit, that range a little bit further so that we can <clears throat> we can start that drift from greater distance. Essentially, we're using that grease segment of the of the leader then to kind of float up on the surface while the fly sinks. So it's acting as a pseudo suspension device until we get that drift a little bit closer um, where we can tight line it. Yeah. And, you know, you can clean if you have to switch up. Actually, it really doesn't matter if you're nymphing because it won't be in the water. But if you ever need to get that stuff off your cider, right, you can use your Amadou or a handkerchief. And then I know Loon and a couple other companies make a... I think it's basically like Fuller's Earth and a paste that'll kind of take that uh, greasy sheen off of the cider for you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you can dull it back up and and uh, and get it back to where it was. Yeah, and so and also too, you know, one of the things we're talking about, like using the indicators, you're talking about not scaring fish. You know, one of the things I think f- people should think about too is making sure that they, you know, cast upstream far enough. And you know, if you have spooky fish, the farther maybe the better. But also, you got to give your flies time to get down in the zone before they get to where the fish are. Yep, that's true. You know, and I like those, I like a lot of yarn indicators um, in that situation. They're not real strong suspenders, especially the smaller pieces of yarn, like New Zealand style indicators. They won't suspend big, heavy flies. But when I'm fishing in that kind of a situation, maybe shallower water, gin clear, slower moving water, low confident lies, I'm not using big flies anyway. So I don't need uh, a suspension device that will float heavy flies. And so that's that's where I'm really relying on that system. So everything, the smaller flies, the uh, smaller bits of, of yarn strike indicators, everything lands very softly with minimal disruption to, to scatter those fish. So ideally situated for, for low-confident, spooky uh, live fish. Yeah. And we've talked before, I know you like to, you know, change the weight of your flies, but kind of, you know, when we're particularly when we're talking about fishing, uh, suspension devices, kind of what's your philosophy on split shot, uh, tungsten putty and things like that? Typically, I'll put the weight in the flies, because if I choose the right suspension device, which is usually the smallest one that I can uh, get that will float my flies, that will still suspend the flies, then I don't have to put a lot of extra extraneous weight in my rig. And I can usually just use maybe a, a slightly larger uh, bead head nymph, maybe a 3.5 millimeter bead, you know, with a little bit of lead in that. And then I'll oftentimes I'll put that with a less weighted fly and I can still get those flies um, to depth without adding additional weight. Because when I add additional weight, if I added ahead of my flies, then I've I've interrupted the connectivity that I have between me and the flies. I'm now connected between me and the weight, and um, I've lost contact literally with those flies, and I may miss fish as a result. Yeah, got it. And you know, just like we did in episode one, we'll talk about kind of the short version uh, for how to get a good drift because we'll go into it more in more detail when we go through folks' questions. But yeah, getting a good drift, 
is really all about getting drift speed. Uh, drift speed and, and, and presentation are synonymous. I really want to get a drift speed that's reflective of the half speed of the strike zone, not full speed of the current that I might see from the surface. So whatever method you're choosing uh, and however you're going to rig it, we really want to try to shoot for that drift speed that is lower than the than the surface current um, so that it's a natural drag-free presentation to the trout that are feeding near the bottom. Uh, but when, again, in slower moving water, as that water slows from medium and slower uh, to slower moving water, um, you know, it's okay um, to, to rig a little bit differently. And then, you know, we want our flies at different depths. Maybe we want one fly close to the bottom. Or we want to fly at mid-current um, because that strike zone does open up and, and fish will oftentimes feed from bottom to top. Yeah, and so if you were tight line nymphing, you know, what would be kind of a cliff notes version of the cues you're looking for to know that you're down? Well, you can usually um, you can usually get information, feedback on the quality of your drift. And, and troubleshooting is a huge part of the classes that we teach when we teach these boot camps or classes at the fly fishing shows. We really focus a lot. Sometimes we spend over an hour on just troubleshooting the drift. What are the tells or the feedback that we can get from every drift that tells us that we're reaching not only the first two objectives, but all three objectives. Um, and it's usually the Cliff Notes version, that other short version is it's usually based on drift speed because if our flies descend to the strike zone, as they reach the strike zone, they begin to slow and then we can see the the uh, the slower uh, speed in our in our drift, and we can we can then know that not only are our flies in the strike zone, but they're moving at the appropriate speed because the strike zone it's the speed of the strike zone when our flies reach it that that slows the entire um, drift. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I guess my experience with that is you you cast, and if you're not tight instantly and kind of swinging the flies into the zone you'll kind of, things will be kind of moving fast and then all of a sudden it'll slow down. Right. Right. You'll see it. You'll actually, and you, you're, you're a very experienced angler. You're, you're an educator in the uh, fly fishing sport as well. You know, this, you can see the point when all of a sudden your drift slows down and you know, okay, I've reached the goals. Um, I've seen my drift slow down and there's things that you can do like learning the tuck cast. And that's one of the things we teach um, and emphasize uh, a great deal when we do streamside cl uh, classes is that we're teaching the tuck cast because that, that tuck cast allows a vertical descent and delivery of our flies to the strike zone before the current really has a chance to accelerate the drift. And so we can, we can maximize the, the amount of time our flies are in the strike zone with the appropriate drift by doing something as simple as, as a tuck cast. Yeah. And then, the, you know, to kind of go to the second half of the cliff notes for suspension devices, a little bit of a different game, right? Cause we know the water's moving faster at the top than it is at the bottom. So what are the cues there? Well, the key is uh, we talk about the balanced rig when we talk about suspension devices. And again, this is one of the things we emphasize in these two or three hour long classes is that, Balancing the amount of, of flotation um, effect against the amount of weight. And so that we are balancing those two, choosing the smallest uh, suspension device that, that we can get away with 
and then adding sufficient weight to um, to get our drift speed and we can you can see it uh, and there are some indicators that are readable uh, we call them readable indicators and and um, uh, there's several of them on the market um, that will actually give you feedback of when you are reaching these three goals yeah it's neat too because i know for sure the new zealand ones will do that because they point straight up um it does yeah and the raven floats will do that as well yeah and um, there are several different like you described uh, initially the fills and some of those floats that we borrow from panfish and, and bass uh, in in uh, in ta- bait and tackle um, those are really um, oftentimes very readable yeah it's interesting too because i know uh, some of my comp fishing friends are super compulsive about this on the suspension device front um, when they don't fish in comps and they'll actually have the weight of the flies match perfectly to the indicator so that like one more, you know, grain of salt will basically, uh, <laughs> basically move the indicator so that they can, uh, detect the strikes a little bit better. I don't know. I'm not quite that obsessive, but. Well, that's what we call the balanced rig though. You're right on, right on the mark with that. That's, that's, that's really a good uh, observation. Yeah. And you know, folks, we love questions and we're doing these for you. And so we've got two great promotions to encourage you to send questions and, you know, make Jason's life a little bit easier. If you'll DM me on Instagram or shoot me an email at mcash at thearticulatefly.com, I'll grab your question. Anything related to any of the episodes, we'd love to answer them. And what we're going to do is everyone that submits a question, we'll get it into a drawing for a signed copy of Nymph Masters from Jason. But then if we select your uh, question for the final episode, those folks are going to get into a drawing for a TFO stealth rod with a matching reel and an SA Euro nymphing line. So want to give a shout out to our friends at TFO and SA for generously supporting this little project of ours. Yeah, it's great um, that uh, that so many um, reputable manufacturers support education in our sport. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I know, you know, talking about doing schools and, you know, you're kind of uh, – recovering from the show season, even if you did it by way of Alaska. Um, but I do know that you and Mac Brown, <laughs> yeah, I do know that you and uh, Mac Brown are doing a, a boot camp in the Driftless area in June. You want to let folks know about that? Yeah, we're really excited about that. You know, it's, it's uh, Mac and I, we, we love to, to, to work with each other and, and uh, we, <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Um, but our, our skills and our, our educational program are very complimentary and, and we just enjoy the time we spend at these boot camps. And it really gives us a three day to really dig into these topics and to spend time in, in casting and hands on demonstrations and on stream critiques and things like that, where you can really take what you what you've covered in, in, in the morning session and you can take it right to the stream in the afternoon and put it right into practice and and learn how to how to uh, troubleshoot those drifts and how to know when you're doing it right and and uh, it's uh, it's just amazing and then afterwards usually uh, we finish up and after dinner it's uh, it's kind of a, a prolonged happy hour where some of the best information is swapped around the bar at night and and Mac and I both uh, the, the the more drinks they buy the the more we talk and the more freely we share information. Yeah, absolutely. And I will drop uh, a link to the boot camp as well as, folks, the illustrations will be in the show notes. And Jason, I will drop all of your social media handles and website and all that good stuff in the show notes, too. Oh, that'd be perfect. Thanks for doing that, Myron. Oh, you betcha. And, you know, folks, it's spring is here. You owe it to yourself. Put some of the stuff that Jason and I have been talking uh, about to use and go out there and catch a few. 
Tight lines, everybody. Tight lines, Jason. Thanks, Marvin. Good night.